It's Christmas time again, you know. It hit me just an hour ago. It ain't about the mistletoe. Let's keep that in mind. It's about the star that led the way. The baby child born that day. It's cause of him we all say. It's Christmas time. Churches say they have blended music, but I've never heard music so blended and so splendid and so delightful and so joyful. It's great to be here at Christmas time. Christmas is the time, say it with me, Christmas is the time for joy. Amen? You want to say that, don't you? Christmas is the time for joy. That's the title of my message today. Or if you want to use a subtitle, you could call it 17 Lights in a Bar of Soap. 17 lights in a bar of soap. Christians love to say Merry Christmas. Have you ever noticed that? You just love that. Do you celebrate Christmas? Yes, Merry Christmas. We tell people out there on the street. There's just something about being able to, it's like big, heavy snowfall coming on Christmas Eve. You just love saying Merry Christmas. Christmas Christians have a reason to be merry. They have a reason to be filled with joy. I have a friend, his name is Dennis. And Dennis found out I had a problem. I had lots of stuff to fix on my house before the Riverview inspection would give us an occupancy permit, which is kind of weird because we've been occupying the house for over 10 years. And so I kind of like, my wife says, if we don't get the occupancy permit, do we have to move out? How does that work? The inspector came over and he said there were 21 or 22 things that needed to be fixed most of which would take me a day apiece because I'm kind of slow, that stuff like that. I said to my friend Dennis, remember that neighbor you have who like does odd jobs? Do you think I could hire him? He goes, what do you need? Send me a picture of the list. I sent Dennis a picture of the list. Dennis says, I'm going to come over on Friday and let me help you out. And I'm like, how, uh, and, uh, you, you can tell me how much it will cost. And Dennis says, well, you need to buy me breakfast or something, but I'm coming over. So he comes over and he spends all day Friday fixing things, but he's not done. So he comes back on last Saturday and he spent hours fixing more things. Then the inspector came back and he said, you got almost everything done, two or three more things. You got to make sure you fix. Dennis came back over again and he fixed the rest of the things. Dennis is going to come visit again here at Bethel. And I want you to thank him for that. But I tried to pay him and he said, no, he hurried to his truck like a little old elf. He got into his truck and started it up, and he ra- rolled his window down, and then he said, yeah, that's what he said. Merry Christmas, he said, with, and it kind of caught in his voice. There's something just joyful about this time of the year, and really, Christians get it. it. You can hear it ringing in all the blessed carols of Christmas like we sang today. Did we sing 75 carols today? Wasn't that awesome? Joy to the world. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. You hear the joy in all the carols? Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous songs, strains prolong? Good Christian men and women, rejoice with heart and soul and voice. 
Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. The songs just have joy ringing in all of them. And there's that second coming carol that comes out of Psalm 98 that's joy to the world. And we sing it at Christmas time. No more let sins and sorrows grow and thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. We're Christians, so the Christmas story is infused with joy. In the Christmas, in the, in the, in the, nar- in the nativity narrative of the Bible, it's rather sparse. It's really not that much, right? It's very small. The stories are short. And in them, joy is mentioned in a superlative way eight different times in the Christmas story, in these brief biblical accounts. Would you like to hear one of my favorite ones? Canaan, I will tell you, Luke chapter 2. You can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. And we're going back to Luke chapter 2. And we're looking again at the angelic announcement to the shepherds. And I want you to notice especially a phrase and then some names of Jesus in Luke chapter 2. The angel comes to the shepherds. Verse 8 of Luke 2 says there were shepherds. I'm in the NIV today because I just like to change things up. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. This is Luke 2 and verse 8. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. They were keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. And the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you, here it comes, ready? I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. This is one of the reasons why Christmas is a time for joy. Because the angel says to the shepherds, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. And then verse 11 is the heart of the message today. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Christ is the Greek Messiah, the Hebrew, Christ, the Lord. Savior, Christ, Lord. Those are three names for, for this baby. And they're all used in this passage. It's the only place in the Bible where these three titles are used together. Savior, Christ, Lord. Savior, Messiah, Lord. And in these three titles of Jesus, you have a deep taproot of joy. So if you came struggling a little bit with some discouragement today or wrestling to be joyful, or if, you're, or if maybe that in your life it's hard for you to maintain your joy, or circumstances have come into your life that are kind of beating you up, or you're a little ashamed of the past, or you're a little afraid of the future, I got good news for you today. In the names of Jesus, I want to give you these beautiful truths that I think are going to help your heart. Now, there are three titles for the baby in verse 11. This is the only place in Scripture they're mentioned together. And when they're clustered together, they make a very powerful statement that the baby is God that he never had a beginning, he'll never have an end, that Jesus, the baby that was born in Bethlehem, in, he, was, he was and is the very God of very God. This is a powerful statement of the deity, of the divinity of Christ. And remember now, this is given by an angel, maybe Gabriel, he's not named, but this is often Gabriel's job. And then he's joined by this multitude of thousands of angels, and they're saying or singing in the, in the night sky there, 
And the original audience there would not have ever overlooked that this was a direct challenge to Caesar. Because Caesar had inappropriately and profanely taken every single one of these very titles for himself. And no man should do that. These are titles of God, especially when they're clustered together. So when the angel says unto you is born today in the city of David, a Savior who's Christ the Messiah, and he's the Lord, he's making a powerful statement. It's in your face, right? He's the Savior. He's Christ. He's the Lord. So let's look at these three. Uh, isn't that a beautiful sound? That's my grandson. Yeah. Wanted you to hear from him today. That's aid and redemption. You will hear stories about him. I promise you that. But we're talking about a different baby today. Our Savior Jesus, he came into the world as a Savior, and he saves from sin. Now, you know, the Savior word is the, is the word like Jesus in Matthew, in the announcement of the birth in Matthew. It says, we'll call his name Jesus because he will save his people. Jesus is the Joshua of the Old Testament, Yeshua, that means deliverer like riding on a white horse to deliver. That's what it means, to deliver. And what does Jesus come to deliver us from? Somebody answer that. Yes, that's right. He comes to deliver us from sin. Listen to me. You may have problems, but the problem behind your problems has got a little name. It's called sin. The problem behind all your problems is sin. And Jesus is a Savior who came to deal forever with sin. And so this is a reason to be joyful. Your, the problem behind your biggest problems has been dealt with by the great divine deliverer, Jesus. Now, remember that thing that we do? We, we say justified and sanctified and glorified. Track with me on that thing. We're repeating this so that you will never forget it. Track with me a little bit about this. Every problem you can imagine is because you sinned, or because somebody sinned against you, or because you live in a sin-cursed world. Every problem you have then is dealt with by our relation to Jesus, the Savior from sin, the guy who delivers from sin, the God who delivers from sin through justification, you get saved, sanctification, Holy Spirit helps you become more and more progressively holy, or ultimately you get delivered from this fallen world and you're glorified, glorified. Get it? Justified, sanctified, glorified, that's the plan. But the exciting, the heartening part is this very word given to the baby, Savior, means that, that the problem behind our biggest problem is solved, and that's why we rejoice. Big idea today is you have a lot to rejoice over, so rejoice. Rejoice because the problem behind your biggest problem has already been solved. How beautiful is that? I had a friend who struggled with depression. This is a serious matter, right? Maybe you have a problem with that. Many great godly Christians have had problems with depression that's very mysterious and hard to untangle, right? And we, maybe you have that problem. Maybe you have the discouragement. Maybe you have a dark depression. Maybe even sort of clinical depression that's very, very difficult, very mysterious. And my friend was that way. Good Christian guy, love the Lord, had this problem with depression. One day, he said to his Christian friends, he had Christian friends kind of across the spectrum. He had Baptist Christian friends. He had charismatic Christian friends, other Christian friends. Brought them all over to the house and said, would you pray for me? Maybe God, you know, will deliver me from this. And he tried a lot of different things. He wanted his friends to come over and pray. Well, that's always a good thing to do, right? 
So we came over to pray for, our, to pray for him. He had the one, you know, there's charismatics and then there's charismatic kind of off the chart, right? We had a friend that was kind of off the chart charismatic. And so that was fun. And this guy, he sort of had the direct phone to God. You know what I mean? Like, so he would, I'm going to make fun a little bit because if you act this way, you're going to get made fun of. Anyway, so he's like, God, what should I tell him? And then like God must have told him. And so he goes over there and he starts tapping on these two liter bottles of pop. And he goes, God, should I tell him? Okay, he says yes. So he goes, tap, tap. If you do this, I'll make fun of you too. And tap, tap. And he's tapping on top of the two liter bottles of pop. And he goes, it's this. It's the pop. It's the diet pop that's eating holes in your brain. Now, now he's not listening really carefully because Scott is sitting there. My friend Scott, what am I me telling you? He's sitting there and he just real quietly lifts up his head a little bit and he goes, yeah, I don't drink that. But the guy was like listening to God, not listening to Scott. So he was like, this is your problem. It's eating holes in your brain. You stop drinking the Diet Pop, you're going to be okay. And he's like, I don't drink the Diet Pop. It's my wife, my kids drink the Diet Pop. They're not depressed. I'm depressed. It's like, now what I'm saying here is, (laughs) I don't want to be that guy, right? Who's like, oh, you're not happy? Let me tell you how to be happy. I'm like a little divine Pollyanna, you know, floating in, telling you how to be happy. Hey, listen, there's some stuff in this world that'll just kick the life out of you, right? This is stuff in this world that'll just really discourage you. You may not be entirely and fully and completely delivered until Jesus comes back, but you will be someday. But I have met people who God has given great progress or deliverance, and he's given them joy. And I trust that God will give you joy today. And this is one of the things you want to look to as a taproot of joy, and that is I have a Savior who's delivered me from the problem behind all of my problems, which is Am I going to have to go over this again? Sin. That's right. You're going to make this longer than it needs to be. Sin. Now let's go and look at the second one. This is so beautiful. The name Christ, which we love. Also in the Hebrew, Messiah. It means anointed one. And it also, it points back into the Old Testament, of course, because the Christ Messiah is promised in the Old Testament, that he would come, he'd be, uh, he would be born in the city of David, reign on the throne of David, occupy a throne on the earth, and he would bring great peace, and he would bring great good, a Messiah. And it also points back to those who had offices in the Old Testament who were anointed. So anointed with oil as symbolic gifts, you have a big job, you need the Holy Spirit. We're going to anoint you with oil symbolically. You can't do this job without God's help. You need God's help to do this job. So if you're a prophet in the Old Testament, you were anointed, that was symbolic that you needed the Holy Spirit to do what you have to do. If you're a priest in the Old Testament, and you help, you know, and with people with their sins, you were anointed because you needed God to help you. You have that symbolic anointing. Joe Stoll was appointed years ago as the president of Moody Bible Institute. And when he gave his little speech, I remember him saying this. I was sitting at my desk across town at Loomis Park Baptist, as a, and I was listening to my radio when they did that that night. And, and here's, what they, here's what he said on the radio. It's one thing to be appointed, but it's another thing altogether to be anointed. It's one thing for you to have a job. You're a mom. You're a dad. You're a teacher. You're a worker. It's one thing for you to have a job. It's one thing for you to have an appointment. It's another thing for God to be on that, for God to be on you, for you to get an anointing from God, a sense of the power of the Holy Spirit, helping you do what only God can do. And God wants you to have an anointing, 
a sense that, and you have this because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, he wants you to be conscious every day that you're depending on the Holy Spirit to accomplish what only God can accomplish in your life. And that life gets pretty exciting. Anybody here need miracles in their life? Well, yeah, of course you do. You're a mess. You're a mess. You are because you're a mess. We say, I know this because people are a mess. And we need Jesus. So isn't it great you have the indwelling Holy Spirit promised? Now, Jesus had this anointing because Jesus, in his humanity, he depended on the power of the Holy Spirit. You see this in Luke chapter 4. It is very fascinating. You know, in Luke 2, you have this announcement. In Luke 3, then you have the genealogies. In Luke 4, Jesus is beginning his public ministry. Right at the beginning of his public ministry, he goes to his hometown in Nazareth. And listen to what he says in verse 16 of Luke 4. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. On the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. And what he's going to basically do is read an Old Testament Testament messianic prophecy and say that it is about him. And that's going to freak everybody out in his hometown. They try to throw him off the precipice. If you ever been to Nazareth and you saw the precipice, you don't want to be thrown off there. He would be deadly. Here's what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me. Get it? To proclaim good news to the poor. Sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he says in verse 21, after he rolls up the scroll and sits down, and everyone was fastening their eyes on him, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Electric shock right there. It's like, I'm this guy. Jesus was anointed to preach the good news. Your job is to tell people the good news. Go ask God for the power to do it. Go ask God to anoint you to go into the world that's so broken, so dark, so sad, so hopeless, so empty, so guilty, so filled with shame, and tell them that there's good news, that Jesus Christ is the answer to the problem behind all their problems, and he is the Messiah, the promised one, which means this. If God made those promises back in history, in the past, and they're going to be fulfilled in the future, that means you and I live where? We live right in the middle of the promises of God. We are surrounded by the promises of God. You know, that ought to give you a little spring in your step today. Think about that. The problem behind all your problems is solved in Jesus the Savior, and you you are surrounded by the promises of God. Everywhere you look, God has given promises. Think about it this way. Has God been faithful to you in your past to keep his promises that he made? If you walk with the Lord, you know he has. But why is it that then when we look into the future about what's going to happen in the future, we're all worried about what's going to happen in the future, and we wonder if God is going to keep his promises in the future. But he's kept his promises in the past. Look around, there's folks here with some gray hair or no hair. They've been around, they've been hanging around for a while. Ask them, has God been faithful to you? They're going to get a tear in their eye, and they're going to say, God has been faithful to me. And I've been through some hard stuff. God has been faithful to me, and he will be faithful to you. Ask them, have you been perfect? Ask them, has God been faithful to you because you never made a mistake? And they're going to go, no, no, no. God has been faithful to me, not because I'm good. He's been faithful to me because he's good. I can count on him in the past. I can count on him in the future. You are surrounded by the promises of God. Starting to feel a little joy yet? 
Yeah. No, so think about this just for a minute. What is the significance of this announcement to these shepherds? Like, why these shepherds? Well, there's some really interesting stuff that's been written about this. If you want to read something really fascinating, you like reading, grab yourself a copy of uh, Alfred Edersheim's Life and Times of Jesus Messiah. Beautiful written. That's a Jewish guy who written a biography of Jesus and is coded to the Bible. It's very beautiful reading. One of the things he says is the reason that the, sh- the angels announced the birth of Christ to these shepherds is because the sheep they were watching were special sheep. That's what he says. And these were destined for sacrifice. And it was symbolic of Jesus who was the lamb destined for sacrifice. Fanciful, but I like it. Here's another, here's another possibility. Why did God announce through the angels to these shepherds? Maybe it's because the sheep were special. Maybe it's because it was a special place. In Genesis chapter 35 and verse 21, there's this uh, shadowy enigmatic prophecy about Migdal Eder, the tower of the flock. And maybe you've heard somebody talk about like there was a special tower where they watched over and there was a prophetic reference to this. And that's a possibility too. Here's what I think is even more obvious though. And that is this is a special message to these shepherds. Because even today, when you go to the Holy Land, and we had a chance to go to the Holy Land, you notice that the lowest rung on the social ladder are the shepherds. Like the Bedouin shepherds in the Holy Land, they live where nobody can even sustain life. You'll see a bunch of things that are all piled together like junk from an alley, and whole families are living there, shepherds, and they'll have a a water tank with wheels. Somebody comes along every once in a while, and they hook up that water tank, they go fill it with water, they bring it back, they pay them a bit so they have water, and that's how they live. They're the lowest rung on the social ladder. They're considered the lowest rung on the social ladder. They're considered ceremonially unclean. They're considered kind of the off-scouring. God sent the message about Jesus, the Savior, Messiah, being born to, not to the king in the palace, right, but to the lowest on the social rung, the ones who were conscious that they were sinners, They had a dark past, they had a frightening future, and God sent the angel to tell them, unto you is born today a Savior who's going to save you from your sin. A Messiah, you are just a shepherd, but you are surrounded by the promises of God. Is that encouraging you today? Is that it? Because you're like, you're just looking at me. She'll look a little more enthusiastic, I think, yeah? should have a little smile on your face right there. Your heart should be beating a little bit fast. You're like, please don't tell me what kind of personality to have. Okay, I, I get it. But one day, God promises he's going to remove sorrow completely from the earth. Listen to this. When you get to the end of the Bible, you have like one of the final promises. I love this. It's the promise of the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. Here's what it says. This is Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them, and he will be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. That old order of things is gone forever. Amen. That's kind of a good passage of Scripture, isn't it? That's your future. You have a bright future if you know the Lord. That'll that'll give you some joy. 
That'll be a deep taproot of joy no matter what's going on in your life. Hey, listen, I got to tell you, I haven't talked too much about it, but little, about this time last year, I had the saddest thing happen to me that I've ever had happen to me. Just a very dark, sad betrayal that I thought was going to be the end of my ministry. And my heart was so broken, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't have a church anymore. I didn't have insurance. I didn't have income. And I lost a lot of my friends. And I hadn't done anything wrong. So I began to pray, God, what am I going to do? I didn't know what I was going to do, so I thought, well, you know, sometimes they invite me to speak at camps. So I call all my camp friends. I said, if you need me to speak at your camp, I'll be happy to come. Like, because I don't have anything else to do, right? God mercifully filled my calendar from Kentucky, Tennessee, and Michigan, and New York, and Canada. God filled my whole calendar with camp speaking all summer long. I have an old Jeep. It, it looks really good on the outside, but it's got 225,000 miles, and it's got a leaky transmission. And I said, okay, and it's red. And I said, Lord, you're going to have to help me in my Jeep because I don't have any money. I don't have insurance. I don't have a job. People are saying bad things about me. I don't know what's going to happen in my life. But I'm going to get on my Jeep. I'm going to ask you to keep it running. You know what he did? He let my Jeep run all summer long, and I preached 116 times, and every time I got in that crazy Jeep and turned the key, I just had an inexplicable joy that came over me. I didn't have insurance. I didn't have a job. I didn't have that many friends. Every once in a while, a church would interview me, and I would just wonder, is anybody ever going to want me to be their pastor? But I had this joy I couldn't explain. It happened every time I turned the key on that little Jeep, and I would drive through the mountains, and I would just like, sometimes it was hard for me to see to drive because the tears of joy were in my eyes. Peter, who suffered for Jesus, was one of the apostles of Jesus. In 1 Peter in chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, we rejoice with joy that is inexplicable, joy that we cannot understand. If you know Jesus, even if you have cancer, even if you lose your loved one or your dad or your mom or your wife or your kids, even if things are bad, even if you're out of money, even if you've made mistakes in your past, if you have Jesus, you have enough to have inexplicable joy you can't express, inexpressible joy. This is the way he is. There's another name for Jesus here. It's such a beautiful one. In the Greek, it's kurios. It means Lord now, every once in a while, this Lord, Kurios, is used in a common way for a common person in the Bible, like master. But in this case, it's obviously used to say something much more because it's coupled with Savior and Messiah. This is Savior, Messiah, Lord. This is the Lord, the King, the Sovereign. Now, why is that good news? Here's why it's good news. Because even if you're a control freak, you can't run the world. Am I right? Tell your husband, you cannot run the world. My, I'm just kidding about that part. Yeah. My kids, every once in a while, say to me, I have a son, Chuck, and he says to me, you are not the boss of me. You are not the boss of me. I'm like, are you messing with me right now? Yeah. Jesus wants you to know he's the boss. Now, that's going to solve you a lot of sleepless nights if you say, okay, you're the boss. He's the king of the universe. You are not in charge. You don't have to be in charge. I have a pastor friend. He's awesome. Calls me on the phone and encourages me every once in a while. He says, come down to my church. I'll take you out for lunch. I'm like, he goes, I'll drive. I'm a control freak. He always says that. I'm like, someday, you know, God is not your co-pilot, right? He's the pilot. He's not your co-pilot. Aviation reference just for you, yeah. He's not your co-pilot. You don't say, you can ride along with me. He ain't going to ride along with you, right? He is totally in charge. Understand this. That might rankle your flesh a little bit, but that is such a good thing. 
He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's in control of the past. He's in control of the future. He's powerful and he's good. He's holy and righteous and kind and benevolent and good. And you want him to be the king. You want to live in a place where he, by the way, this is what it says in an Old Testament prophetic reference about this. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. I would vote for him. <laughs> yeah. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the greatness of his government and peace, there will never be an end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it, upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time forever. And who's going to do this? The zeal of the Lord Almighty will perform this. You're going to vote him into office. He's come and take over. When I was a kid, I played football. I was pretty good at it with my brothers. You know, they were seven and ten years younger than me. I was the man. We played football. I was the quarterback. They never even challenged me. I'm like, let's play. I'm the quarterback. They're like, yeah. They're seven and ten years younger than me. My dad's like, knock yourself out. You're the quarterback. So all growing up, I'm the quarterback. And nobody ever challenged me. And then I had kids. They were smaller than me, younger, and they depended on me for nourishment. So I was the quarterback. I'd be like, want to play football? I'm the quarterback, right? Now imagine that you got like Matt Stafford here. He actually got a win last night. Did you see that? Matt Stafford of Tom Brady. That's for you Michigan fans. Or Kirk Cousins. That's for you Michigan State fans trying to run the board here. Yeah? Now imagine they show up. What am I going to do? Sit down. Right? Like, sit down, bro. You are not going to be the quarterback. Tom Brady is here. Right? Kirk Cousins is here. Hey, if Kirk Cousins was here, I would be preaching. He would be preaching. This boy knows the Lord. I don't think Tom Brady does, but, but Kirk Cousins does. Anyway, if they were here, I would not be the quarterback. Right? It would just be seriously... Get on, just sit down. And if Jesus shows up, we don't sit down. We get on our face. When Jesus shows up, we're going to go, we're not, there's not going to be any control issues then. <laughs> we're not going to be going, I think I'll, oh, shut up. Jesus is here. You just get on your face right now because Jesus is here. Listen, Christians know that Jesus is the king and that he's in control and that he's on the throne and you can trust him. And so that gives us joy. You know, here's how it works. I was out, it was last Christmas and I was trying to come up with my Christmas Eve talk and it wasn't coming. And so sometimes, you know, if you go and you take a walk, I decided to go to Panera and get coffee. So I went to Panera to get coffee and it was all a buzz with people that were doing their Christmas shopping. And the only place to sit was by Nancy and Helga. And it was like, so this lady named Nancy and, and a lady named Helga were here, and there was a chair right here, and it was the only place in a whole restaurant to sit. So I was kind of captive to what they were doing, but it was really delightful because they, bless you, they were exchanging Christmas gifts. And Helga was the most amazing Christmas gift receiver I have ever heard. You know, they would give her a gift, Helga would say, oh, this is just what I wanted. This is the most beautiful. How did you know? Thank you so much. And she was, I thought, man, that lady's got this figured out. And after she got all those gifts, I thought, what would happen if when, it, when she'd gotten all those gifts, as Helga had said, now she got into her purse and she got her checkbook out and she says, now let me just write you out a little check. How much do I owe you for this stuff? Like, if she did that, it wouldn't be Christmas anymore. Right? Her friend was like, wait a minute. I'm, I thought we were having Christmas here. I, I was giving you stuff. You're just supposed to receive it. That's all. Listen to me. Jesus came 
as a gift from God for you. And what do you do? You receive him. That's all. You receive him. You just say, well, I was on my way to hell. That's where I deserve to be. And I was messed up my life pretty bad. And then you came in to give me this free gift of salvation. I'll take it. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Right? Now, what happens is he gives you the Holy Spirit. This is where things get interesting. Because, like, think about this. If God the Holy Spirit lives in you, who's playing quarterback? Yeah, not you, right? <laughs> God, like, you, you're saved by grace through faith alone, right? You're saved by grace through faith alone, but then I, the news, good news is, now Jesus is going to take over your life, right? You're going to do what he says. You're going to go where he says to go. You're going to run your marriage his way. You're going to run your business his way. Your ethics are going to be his ethics. His word is going to be your bond, right? Because he doesn't just save you, but he's your Lord. And it's all one thing when he comes and he does that. Now, you're probably wondering, what about those 17 lights and that bar of soap? You didn't think I was going to forget that, did you? So I'm putting together the lights ones, and I don't have a dime. I'm a pastor trying to start a church, and we are so broke. And we lived out in the dead-end road at this old farmhouse, and, and I went and got the lights out. I'm not that organized guy that wraps his lights around cardboard like, you know, you do on Pinterest. You know, I, I'm the guy who just wads them up and sticks them in the attic and then goes back and gets them and then they don't work, right? So I go and get the lights and the kids are all depending on me to make Christmas happen and that's a lot of pressure. And so I'm stringing the lights and of course when I plug them in, nothing happens. And I'm so frustrated. It's kind of crazy because I was thinking about this and I was here on Saturday and I was working here alone and all of a sudden I heard a knock at the door and the craziest serendipity happened. I look up and there's an elderly man at the door that I recognize as my dad. He was making a hospital call in town and he decided to happen by the church to drop something off. He didn't know I was gonna be here and my dad walked in and we talked about this little story. I said, dad, you remember me calling you that day? And I was so frustrated I couldn't get the lights to work. I said, dad, how do these work? I mean, you know, do you have to take each one out and replace them? Are they all, are they all wired together? Like, well, I can't buy more. Dad says to me on the phone that day, he says, Kenny, do you remember when we lived on Avenue A in Battle Creek? And I'm like, yeah, I remember that. He goes, you remember the tree then? I go, yeah, that was my favorite tree. It had those big retro lights on it. And I remember, I remember on Avenue A in Battle Creek, and I think I was in the third grade. I laid on the couch and I squinted at the lights and I thought to myself, we have the prettiest tree I have ever seen in my life. And my sister Melanie had a bag of lemon candies and she's pretty stingy, but she would go in her bedroom and she'd bring out one and give it to me. And so I was, just, I was just laying there on the couch, watching the nutcracker, squinting at the tree, eating lemon candies and thinking, I am the richest kid alive with the prettiest Christmas tree ever. And my dad said to me, do you know how many lights were on that tree? And I said, well, no, of course I don't. He said, 17. <laughs> and I said, how would you know? That was years ago. He goes, Kenny, I felt the same way you did. I didn't have anything. And I thought, what a loser am I? I can only afford 17 lights for the tree. And I thought, that tree was prettier to me than the one in the Rockefeller Center. You don't have to be rich to have joy, but you're going to need Jesus to have joy. And I was a boy, I was coming home from school one day. And I was having that happy Christmas feeling, like almost school's almost out. And we're going to have, we're going to get to see grandma and grandpa. And we're going to have Christmas presents and it's going to be great. And we didn't have a lot. My parents were always saying, well, man, I don't know what's going to happen this year. We might have to give you a lump of coal, you know, stuff like that. Read your report card. Yeah, you're going to get a lump of coal for sure. 
was running home, and I, I cornered down by Ted's Market, and I was running up Harlan Street, and I looked up, and I saw my mom in the window. And she didn't have any money. She went and got a bar of soap. And my mom took that bar of soap, and she just took that bar of soap, and she soaped up that whole window. And then she spent all afternoon with a little razor blade making a manger scene. Mary and Joseph and the baby and the star. And it was biblically correct that wise men were a long way away because my mom is all that. And I came in and she had Christmas music on and we were poor. Maybe you're sad. Maybe you're poor. Maybe you're guilty. Maybe you're afraid of the future. But if you have a Savior who is Christ the Lord, then Christmas is a time for joy. And if it's ever, if uh, the most joyful thing I think I ever get to do at Christmas is sing with my kids and our daughter Holly, our oldest and our youngest, Hope, are here, and we're going to sing you out today. I trust that God will give you joy. And if you ever are struggling with that, just go that Luke chapter 2 and look at, at the names of Jesus.